Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Also, if you're interested in cross-border trade issues, there's a great symposium Friday, April 5th in Houston, the 2019 Symposium on Compliance and International Corporate Legal Practices at the South Texas College of Law. I'm going to give more information on it at the outro, and also I'll link to it in the show notes. I hope you can attend. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into the recent resignation of Wells Fargo CEO Tim Sloan. We use that as a starting point to consider the cultural failures at Wells Fargo, not so much which led to the original uh, fraudulent accounting scandal, but what has continued, continued to bedevil the company and what led to Sloan's resignation after his congressional hearing of a couple of weeks ago. We look at the uh, frankly, draconian sanctions against the bank leveled by the OCC and the Fed and potential greater sanctions, the difference in a high-pressure culture and a high-performing culture, and the treatment of whistleblowers and customers as related in the Wells Fargo mess. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, who is on assignment today. So he is calling in, not from Boston. Matt, first of all, welcome from your undisclosed location. Uh, Hello, Tom. It is good to be here. I might as well disclose I am back in warm and sunny Las Vegas uh, for the Chief Learning Officers Symposium, where I am speaking along with uh, an acquaintance of mine from J.P. Morgan about uh, high-performance corporate cultures and the, how you would cultivate that uh, for compliance officers who might be wondering. Um, I'm linking that to some research we have spoken about before, Tom, about how companies with a stronger internal reporting culture have generally better business results. And I leverage that into a talk along with my J.P. Morgan friend about um, how you can achieve high performance culture and what are some of the training issues that people need to think about. So uh, that's why I'm here. And it's a sunny and breezy 81 degrees right now. So happy to be here. You know, I was only going to disclose that you were in a location close to Area 51, but uh, (laughs) that perhaps is a more fulsome explanation. Indeed. So, Matt, uh, I wanted to maybe see if we could go into the weeds about a uh, an event that occurred last week, which was the resignation of current Wells Fargo CEO, Tim Sloan. And mm-hmm. Tim uh, took over after the uh, prior CEO, John Stump, had a, just a disastrous congressional hearing uh, where he tried to um, 
blame Wells Fargo's fraudulent account scandal on uh, 50 or so rogue employees of the company. Um, Tim Sloan was brought in specifically to, to clean up the mess and move the company forward, but uh, he was not able to do so. So I thought maybe we could just kind of unpack that from the compliance perspective and kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, I, first off, I think it's uncanny or eerie or however we might want to describe it that uh, Tim Sloan also fired after a not very good uh, performance in front of a congressional hearing in Washington earlier in the week. And I especially love that one of Wells Fargo's big shareholders, uh, Warren Buffett, said on CNBC, I think it was, um, that he had full confidence in Tim Sloan. And two hours later, Tim Sloan had his um, immediate resignation announced. So a warning sign for all people. If Warren Buffett ever goes on cable TV and says that he has full faith in you, maybe you're about to be fired. So you should try to avoid that happening. Um, But just a sad commentary on Wells specifically, but also I think just a broader statement about how hard it is to change a corporate culture. Uh, I never bought into the idea that this was only 50 rogue employees that John Stumpf had talked about. And when he was fired in 2016, we did since then see progressively more and more types of misconduct scandals uh, erupting in Wells Fargo in various parts of its empire. And I, to a certain extent, you have to think, well, how else were we going to end up with Tim Sloan? I didn't know exactly when he would leave, but I, I generally figured he was going to leave sooner or later under these circumstances because Wells has not been able to solve his problems. So, Matt, one of the things that the, certainly the commentators brought up and, and I think is interesting to explore is that Tim Sloan was a 30-year employee, a longtime employee, a part of the Wells Fargo culture. And when you have this catastrophic a failure, do you need to bring in someone from the outside, not necessarily in a clean sweep of top management, but perhaps to bring in a new perspective, fresh blood, whatever the right uh, catchphrase, buzz catchphrase might be to to really um, move the company in a different direction. I, I think that's true. Um, I would draw some comparisons here with Wells Fargo's culture problems with those of Uber. And when they finally sacked their founder and CEO, Travis Kalanick, they did bring in an outsider who um, seems to have done a much better job of trying to change Uber's culture. I bet there are plenty of people out there who would say still that who might know Uber uh, more intimately than you or I do, who'd say, well, Uber still has its issues. I I suspect it does. Um, Just as a case in point, it still hasn't had its uh, much-awaited IPO, and now its chief rival has beaten it to the IPO punch. Um, But Uber brought in an outsider, and he had wholesale change. It is worth noting also that what Uber did was not only just bring in a new CEO, but Partly because of him and partly aside from him arriving, Uber had also broomed or saw departures of almost all its other senior executive team. So there was a clean slate there. And, you know, Tom, you had mentioned maybe bringing in a new CEO, not necessarily to clean house. I, I don't know, man. Maybe cleaning house was something that uh, Tim Sloan or not even Tim Sloan, but some outsider should have been brought in from Wells to do that because very few things really signal that something will be different than a literal change of tone at the top because there is a new top. Um, 
But, you know, you have to just think of so many issues that Wells has and so many parts of its operations. Um, and I know, for example, that Wells did try to renovate its code of conduct uh, earlier this decade to try to ameliorate that fake accounting scandal, which had been going on for years. And Tim Sloan and other senior leaders have been struggling with it for years. He didn't get it fixed. He didn't. He was in that leadership team that should have gotten it fixed under John Stumpf. John Stump didn't get it fixed, and his lieutenants didn't get it fixed. Uh, one of his lieutenants, Tim Sloan, then succeeded him and still didn't get it fixed. You know, they still have all of these issues going on. Uh, so, actually, I do lean towards a fresh blood coming in, thinking about what are our incentive compensation plans, what's our basic strategic goals. Uh, how do we align compensation with our stated values and our business priorities? And it's really tough for somebody who has been living in the fishbowl and drinking the Kool-Aid for 30 years, which uh, Tim Sloan had been doing. I, I'm hard-pressed to see how you can really execute that. It, it takes an enormous amount of executive talent. And perhaps Tim Sloan is a good executive in some ways. I don't know. But good enough executive talent isn't enough. You need superior talent to be able to change an organization from the inside, I think. And there we are. The um, One of the things that um, really has struck me about this matter is that this is not sort of a commentariat, uh, left-leaning uh, group of people criticizing Wells Fargo. This is the highest reaches of both the OCC uh, Office of uh, Currency and the Federal Reserve to the point where apparently the OCC, if not the Fed, uh, has threatened to uh, actually remove the board and bring in uh, a new board to oversee this. So when you have the regulators who, particularly in the banking industry, uh, I think by their nature are um, conservative and loath to really uh, take drastic moves against uh, one of the organizations that they regulate, uh, suggesting such uh, really draconian remedies. Uh, Wells Fargo has already sustained one of the most draconian, which is they they can't grow yeah. uh, by uh, Fed fiat. Um, that really speaks of a problem that regulators are seeing that uh, perhaps we're not getting the, even the full picture of. I, I do have to wonder about that. And so the head of the OCC, his name is Joseph Odding. Um, Mr. Odding is, you know, there are many cynics out there who would say that he is very cozy with the banking industry. Um, and he has taken a very light approach to regulation and enforcement in many different ways. So when even he is saying that um, or hinting that there may be some draconian changes that might have to be contemplated, like, that's I, you don't know what to say about it. But when Joseph Otting, Maxine Waters at the House Financial Services Committee and Elizabeth Warren, who has wanted to fire pretty much everyone at Wells Fargo for years, when all three of them are basically moving in the same direction, that's a moment uh, for corporate <laughs> misconduct because you really don't see that very often. Um, I, you know, I know, for example, also that Wells has definitely tried to make some investments. They have invested more, say, in their internal audit function for better risk analysis. Uh, they have you know, definitely stepped up their commitment to improving the compliance function. I would not be surprised if they have hired more compliance staffers. But at a certain level, I think those things fall away. And what remains is the ethics part of ethics, risk, and compliance. And 
that's to a certain extent that transcends whatever compliance procedures you have in internal audit data analytics capabilities you might have. It's about really senior business leaders um, slowing the business down to talk more about and reward good business conduct across the board. Um, Wells is a very big operation with very diverse operations. So I suspect what would be incentive to do the right thing and to behave ethically for one group is probably going to be different for another group Um, in operating divisions and at senior versus junior levels. Like you really need to think through how do you incentivize all of that? How do you build the right messaging? Um, ethics and compliance officers are going to be part of it, but that's what I would call one of the sort of the soft skills side of ethics and compliance, not the the hard skill side of um, you know regulatory reporting accuracy or that kind of stuff. That matters, but um, it it doesn't matter as much as getting the culture right, and that's where we are. One of the things that uh, I've been thinking about is Wells' position that they are actively. Uh, fighting uh, claims by uh, whistleblowers that mm-hmm. they were retaliated against <clears throat> back for the original uh, fraudulent accounts uh, scandal, uh, not uh, really any any newer scandals. And I just wondered, when you have a situation like that, does the, even that send a message uh, that if you whistleblow, not only will you be potentially retaliated against, but we will fight you every step of the way going forward? I think that still counts for a big, big part of Wells' problems because they're perception problems. I don't know how widespread whistleblower retaliation may still be at Wells today, but even one example of it would be a highly contagious agent for the Wells Fargo employees to see and hear, and it just, it spreads like wildfire, and suddenly they still say, oh yeah, Wells retaliates all the time. Maybe that is true. Maybe it is not true that they don't do it all the time. But even if you do it one or two times, it, that it is a much more magnified sort of effect that uh, that kind of retaliation or that kind of management approach carries. Um, and it's funny you give that, Tom, because um, I, I'll give you an example of from this CLO forum I am at here today. Uh, I was talking a bit about high performance cultures. And I mentioned the fact that Wells Fargo is not a high-performing culture. It is a high-pressure culture. And we talked a bit about some of Wells Fargo's shortcomings. The conference, my session ends. One of the attendees comes up and says, look, I really loved your talk, but I have a question about Wells Fargo as a consumer because they own my home mortgage. And I have been in a fight with them for years to try to get it uh, adjusted somehow. And she didn't really give me too many particulars, but that's beside the point. She was there to complain about how we, she was treated as a customer of Wells and talking about uh, files that were missing or re- document requests that she submitted and then they were lost and resubmitted and Wells coming back and saying, no, we, we already denied you for this. And then she'd say, here's the documentation of when you accepted me for it. And this has been going on for years. And she actually came to me to ask what regulator should she be calling up as a consumer to complain about Wells. Um, I would put her issues in the same class as whistleblower retaliation with employees, even if they are not widespread today. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. You have to think if you're Wells, what is a highly contagious sort of reputational risk? And that's, that's what this is. And so there are plenty of people still 
who say, oh, yeah, Wells Fargo, yeah, they're a basket case who can't do anything right. Um, that's probably painting Wells in maybe too broad of a brush. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, Wells definitely makes it hard to come out and say that they're trying their best because if and if they are, like, it doesn't look like their best is very good. And that brings up a great point about the stakeholders involved in this. We've talked about the regulators. We talked about senior management. We hinted uh, or or talked a little bit about employees, but the customers as well. And uh, I think their treatment of customers around the fraudulent accounts scandal really uh, was a huge reputational problem. But this continued um, uh, demeaning of the customer base is is just, I think, an overall part of the culture, and you linked it with the uh, whistleblower, uh, alleged whistleblower retaliation and the way they treat uh, whistleblowers, which speaks uh, back exactly to your point of what's our culture. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny. I've been thinking another, like, telling examples that set off large groups of people. Uh, Tim Sloan also, I think it was the day after he had an appearance in front of the House Financial Services Committee, Uh, Wells Fargo filed his proxy statement that included his salary and compensation. His compensation went up by, I want to say, $2 million. Don't hold me to that, but it went up by much more than you or I would ever see our compensation go up in any year. Uh, But Maxine Waters, chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, she heard that news and very rightly flipped out and said, this is crazy that you are getting more money, even as Wells is still struggling. Um, It's not as if Tim Sloan is a poor man by any means. Um, And things like CEO compensation matter. Uh, Things like small demonstrations of sacrifice. I'm not going to take any bonus. I'm going to cut my salary. I'm going to forego my long-term compensation for this year or something like that. Those things are tangible gestures that matter to people, and they do say a lot about uh, culture because not doing that. There are far too many executives who throw their hands up and say, well, I was powerless to control this. Number one, if you're CEO, no, you're not. And number two, uh, nobody's powerless really to control things like what they get for compensation. You know, I'd like to get as much money as I can, as much as the next person. But occasionally, executives do have the ability to make a gesture. And these gestures go good and bad. They can go a long way. Um, Hassling some whistleblower or hassling a customer or cutting your salary. Those would all be magnifier events that, uh, for whatever reason, Wells Fargo seems to come down on the wrong side of the right thing to do far too often. So Matt, unfortunately we're near the end of our time, but perhaps we could speculate as to what a um, new CEO might look like. Oh, you know, I got to admit, if I was an outside person, why would I want this job? Really? Um, you know, so, you know, if I, I can see where Wells Fargo might now get the message that they should look for an outsider, but Outsiders with the skill and talent to take that job are going to be very skilled and very talented. They don't need that job. You're taking it more for the professional challenge. But um, if you're an incoming potential CEO from the outside, you have to think about, do I want to work with this board? Do I want to turn around to the regulators and recommend that I we remove the board and bring in new board members? Um you know, if something like that happened to a new CEO who'd been on the job five or six months and suddenly you have a new different board, you yourself 
would have some job security concerns to worry about. So maybe there are people out there who would say, I'd like that job, but I want the regulators and the board to straighten out themselves first, and then they can come and try and recruit me. Um, So I know that the current general counsel at Wells is now the acting CEO. I don't remember that gentleman's name, but, um, you know, their Wells is, I think they might be in a holding pattern for their leadership because the outside leadership they need, man, you know, you, you really got to think long and hard about how does that work for you as a resume builder, if that's what you want to do. Well, Matt, this has been a really a fascinating exploration of something that's a current event, but has a lot of implications for the compliance professionals. So uh, kudos, and I look forward to uh, what we come up with next week. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. As I said in the opening, there's a great symposium on Friday at the South Texas College of Law. I'm going to link to it in the show notes for registration information, but it's got sessions on trade border excuse me, cross-border trade compliance, the changing nature of international anti-bribery and anti-corruption compliance and enforcement, cross-border investigations, and a taking a look at data privacy. If you're in Houston and have any interest in these topics, I would uh, suggest you take a look at it and attend. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and I hope you'll join Matt Kelly and myself for our next episode. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.